leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like him. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow Sports Business Classroom alum, and he's a regular on the program, Ibuka Ufandu. Ibuka, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me on again. Now, uh, for this episode, since we're basically a week out from the start of the 2019-20 NBA regular season, I thought it'd be a fun exercise to go into a uh, preseason predictions with uh, with all the awards, whether that be the all-rookie teams, the all-defensive teams, the all-NBA teams, and then, of course, all of the individual awards, which are uh, Executive of the Year, Coach of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and then we've got Most Improved Player, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and MVP. And then uh, at the end of the episode, we'll both make our picks for Eastern Conference and Western Conference champions, as well as our prediction for the NBA Finals champion. So uh, this is uh, this is my second year in a row doing this. Last year I got to do it with Simon, Sharon, Gordon, and uh, this year it'll be fun doing it with Abuka. And uh, Abuka, why don't uh, why don't you get us started with your all rookie first team? Okay, great. Uh, so for my all rookie first team, I went with John Morant, R.J. Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, Rui Hachimura, and Zion Williamson. Okay, interesting. So we've got we've got four of the five the same. The only difference, instead of Hachimura, who I actually have on my second team, I've got uh, I've got Darius Garland. So why don't you just talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on Hachimura and why you're so high on his rookie year? I actually don't think that he's necessarily going to play that well. I think what's going to happen here is simply just from the fact that. The Wizards don't have a very good team. I think he's going to get a lot of minutes. 
Uh, Scott Brooks in the past has kind of liked that style of player. I've seen him described as somewhere in between uh, Jeff Green, like a sort of a similar type of player to that. And that's someone who Scott Brooks used a lot when he was uh, at Oklahoma City. Uh, I actually don't have Darius Garland on either of my teams. I think there are four guards for me that are going to be better than him or at least produce more than he will uh, in their rookie season. So I didn't go with him on my rookie team. Interesting. So... Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the reasoning why you like Hachimura is why I like Garland. You know, I, I don't think uh, as most rookie point guards, I don't think he's going to be that effective as uh, in terms of wins and losses. But uh, I, I do think that he's going to start for this Cavs team. He's going to get plenty of minutes. The the Cavs have talked a bunch about how they think that Garland and Sexton can play together and kind of be the Eastern Conference version of Lillard and McCollum. Uh, so so I think he's going to get plenty of time. We saw it with Sexton last year where uh, even though he was terrible, he got plenty of minutes and was able to put up those counting stats, and I think Sexton made the, uh, the second team. You know, actually, I realize what I did here as well is I kind of set up my team so it was guard, guard, forward, 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 which, thinking about it, that's not necessarily a requirement for the rookie teams that's all with all defense and all defense uh, second team but uh, I still like my picks here I mean once we get a chance uh, we'll go into the second team and I'll kind of explain why I went with some of these other guards over Darius Garland that's a good point that's something I should have prefaced is the idea that yeah the all rookie team is essentially it's uh, it's regardless of position who who do the voters think are the five top rookies in the class and uh yeah, so obviously we don't we don't really have to talk much about the ones we agreed on. Obviously, Zion Williamson will uh, will get to uh, um, our picks for Rookie of the Year a little bit later on, but I'm I'm I don't think it's a surprise to to say that I think he'll be in contention for both of us for that pick. Uh, and then uh, John Morant being uh, you know a, a super talented guy, he's going to start in Memphis now with Conley gone. So he's going to get a lot of opportunities, and he's you know got a ton of talent. R.J. Barrett, I think, is uh, the the whole new the, the whole city of New York uh, is uh, is resting on the hopes that uh, R.J. Barrett will turn into a star. He's going to get plenty of minutes and shot attempts, and uh, and yeah, DeAndre Hunter is another interesting one, the number four overall pick. Uh, it, you know, looking back at, at my picks last year, uh, you know, I, I didn't do that great of a job overall. You know, I even had Kyrie Irving as my MVP pick, um, which uh, which doesn't look good with hindsight. But uh, one thing I did nail is I, I hit four of the five uh, all-rookie first-team selections. And it, it was unusual because last year I did think that most of the, of the guys that were selected in the top five were going to be on the team. And I think that was the Last year was the first year where the top five picks all made all rookie first team. You know, actually, going back to what you just said about uh, R.J. Barrett, he's one I'm a little bit worried about his, uh, especially with him being a Canadian player, you know, I'm a little bit worried about his development. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be a star type of player. I actually see him being more of like a utility type player, maybe similar even to Evan Turner, maybe with a better shot. But in New York, the expectations for him are going to be quite a bit higher. Uh, I expect him to make the rookie team just from the fact that they don't really have a lot of other guys who can score the ball. He's going to get enough opportunities to put up 
the points, the raw points per game. That's actually what. Uh, just the raw points per game to get himself on the rookie team. But I'm not sure that New York is necessarily going to end up being the best place for him to develop as a player. I think he'd definitely do better somewhere where he's got some veteran guys to kind of play off of. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. As far as that rookie team, I think he'll he'll do fine there. He'll make that rookie team. He'll be at the game during All-Star Weekend and all that stuff. So that's good for him. Yeah, and again, as opposed to a lot of the other uh, all-defense uh, and all-NBA teams where those are really about who excels and who who impacts winning the most as far as defense or just overall play. The rookie team really is more about counting stats, and I think uh, both of us aren't necessarily selecting our top five guys that we think will succeed as far as their career, but just guys that will have enough opportunities. So let's move on now to uh, to the, the all-rookie second team, and let's hear, Abuka, who you have uh, on your second team. Okay, so... Uh, going back to what I was saying about the guards, I went with, uh, I think, Tyler Harrow and Nikhil Alexander-Walker are probably going to have more productive rookie seasons than Darius Garland. So I went with those two as my guards on this team. Uh, a little bit of explanation for Alexander-Walker. I think maybe he might not necessarily have better counting stats like we just talked about than Garland, but... I think the fact that he's playing on the Pelicans is going to get him a little bit more recognition for what he's doing because that's definitely going to be a team with Zion there uh, that everyone's kind of watching this season. And then for the other three spots, I've got Michael Porter Jr., Jared Culver, and Brandon Clark from the Grizzlies. Okay, so uh, I already mentioned one of mine, and that is uh, Rui Hachimura. Um, and then, yes, I agreed with you on uh, on Clark, Harrow, and and Culver as well. Uh, the difference for me is uh, I've got Cam Reddish in there. Uh, so I think it would be interesting to talk about uh, the the Cam Reddish versus the Nikhil Alexander Walker again. I I am uh, I am a much bigger fan of Alexander Walker in his potential career. I think he he looked fabulous in summer league. He's looked really good so far in preseason for New Orleans. The, the issue for me with him is I just question how many minutes he's going to get because that Pelicans team is just so deep. You look at the guards on that roster, they've got J.J. Redick, Drew Holiday, Lonzo Ball, Etwan Moore, and uh, Josh Hart. So, you know, they've got five guards there that uh, all are probably deserving of minutes even before you talk about Alexander Walker. So I guess my question for you then is, who do you see uh, Nikhil beating out to, to get enough minutes here? I actually think he's going to end up being the fourth guard in that rotation, which will probably get him around 20-ish, maybe 25 minutes a game, depending on how much they want to slide one of those guys up to the three spot. So I think when things shake out during the season, and actually we've seen this a little bit during the preseason as well, the only guys who will be ahead of him are uh, Lonzo Ball, uh, Drew Holiday, and uh, J.J. Redick. I think those three guys will be playing ahead of him, but he'll still be getting enough playing time behind them to uh, put up the numbers necessary to make this team. And then also, like I said, the kind of the little added factor of the fact that he plays on the Pelicans, and that's just going to be a team that people are watching more this year than the Cavaliers, and that all kind of tends to have, you know, an impact on how the voters look at things, so. 
Yeah, I, I really like those points, and especially the one where you, you talked about maybe some of those guys might even play a little bit of the three because outside of uh, Ingram, they, they lack depth at that spot. So, yeah, you could see the likes of, of Drew Holiday and Hart getting getting some minutes at the three, which would open it up. So, yeah, I, I don't mind that pick at all. Again, I really like him. Uh, and and my thought as far as Cam Reddish, you know, the, the Hawks are a team that, it's funny, we, we kind of look at it differently, whereas you, you are looking at it where these voters might might go more towards the rookies that are actually helping a, a winning basketball team, whereas I look at it more as, oh, these rookies that are on really, you know, are on below average teams are going to get more opportunity, and that's what I see with, with Cam Reddish and the Hawks. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's just sort of two different ways of looking at things. Reddish is a good pick, too. It's probably... Like, the two differences we have with Garland and Reddish, those were probably the next two guys I was going to point if we had, like, a third team or something. So I don't think we're necessarily looking at the two teams that differently, maybe just sort of a different perspective like you outlined there. Like, you're kind of looking for who's going to have the highest impact within their team or be able to put up the most numbers within their team. But I guess I'm also looking at the outside perspective, like, Right. Um, so, yeah, just a couple other guys I, I felt like mentioning before we move on to the all-defensive teams. Uh, I think a couple of guys on Boston, you know, Carson Edwards has looked impressive so far in preseason. Again, it's just a question of is he going to get enough minutes out there, but I think he can he can light it up from downtown. He's got NBA range, uh, and he could have an impressive rookie season. Kobe White for Chicago, the number seven pick. Again, I think he might be behind uh, Thomas Sadoransky in the pecking order as far as the, the point guard position. So uh, he might uh, not get enough opportunity, even though he's another another young player that I that I enjoy, and I think he's got a, a nice upside. And then also Cam Johnson for the uh, the Phoenix Suns. I think he uh, he hit four of six threes in in their opening preseason game. He's a guy that uh, looks like immediately he's going to be one of the better shooters in the NBA and, and, and fills a need for that Phoenix team. So those are all guys that I, I considered as well. Yeah, other than the guys we talked about, I didn't really see any of those guys as people who could break into the top two teams other than uh, Kobe White, like you mentioned. But because of the fact it looks like Sadoransky is going to be taking that spot, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to have quite as much impact or as much of the ball as is needed to make one of these two teams. All right, so moving on to the all-defensive teams, uh, who do you have, Ibuka, on your first team? So my first team is Drew Holiday, Josh Richardson, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, and Joel Embiid. Okay, so we agreed on four of the five. The only differentiator is the center position in which I have... uh, I have the two-time reigning defensive player of the year, Gobert, in that spot. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was that was one that uh, was, it's, it's been a tough call the last couple years, Gobert or Embiid. And uh, certainly with the, the Sixers additions, adding Richardson, again, a guy that we both have also on the first team, Ben Simmons uh, they, and, and Al Horford, they've got so much defensive talent, they're, they're likely to be one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, and actually when we start going through some of these later predictions, you're going to see that I'm pretty high on Philadelphia. 
I mean, obviously, I'm a Raptors fan, and last year they gave us quite a tough matchup in the playoffs, and I think they've improved their defense significantly, and also the other two teams that were competing with them at that top bracket in the East, the Bucks and the Raptors, have fallen off well to different extents, right? The Raptors probably more significantly so than the Bucks, who still have their top player, while the Raptors don't, so... But I think they're going to be a very dominant defensive team. And as a result, uh, the players are going to reap some individual award benefits from that. And so that's why I went with Joel Embiid in the defensive first team. It was a tough call between uh, him and Gobert, like in terms of who's actually going to have more impact. But uh, I think because of how good Philadelphia is going to be on that end, compared to even Utah, I Embiid. He's probably going to grab that first scheme spot. Yeah, I think a big factor that is going to determine who wins between those two, if it is one of those two, is just uh, how how high up in the in the team defensive rankings each team is. You know, Philadelphia actually finished outside the top ten last year, pretty surprisingly, whereas Utah, the last couple of years, consistently has been a top five defense. And I think with Gobert, it's this is the biggest test he's had yet. Because, you know, you lose Derek Favors. They don't have quite as much uh, defensive talent on that roster now. They've the, the Jazz have obviously upgraded on the offensive end of the floor. But it's really going to come down a lot to Rudy Gobert. And if that team is still a top-five defense, I think Gobert might even get more credit than he has in, in years past. Uh, that's an interesting point, too, actually. So you're, you're looking at it from the perspective of Gobert's auto has a worse defensive supporting cast around him. So if they're around, like let's say Utah and Philly are a 1-2 defense, then you're thinking he's going to get more credit for that team being top defensively than Embiid would for Philly when he has four other well above average defenders, or, or sorry, three other well above average defenders and then an okay one. Right, yeah, it's um, it's kind of the same argument, I think, that has been used for MVP, where, like, you know, if you've got two superstars with Curry and Durant with the Warriors, that the, they kind of take away from each other. And maybe that's unfair to Embiid, but uh, he, he does have a ton of defensive talent around him. But, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see, and, and that has been an interesting sort of defensive rivalry over the last couple of years. Uh, and, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this as we get to our Defensive Player of the Year discussion. Was there was there anything about uh, the the four guys that we agreed on Holiday Richardson Giannis or Davis you felt like uh, talking about? Uh, you know I just think these guys are getting in there. I don't see I'm not really seeing anyone that's going to be able to beat them out for the top spots unless the Warriors are and we'll get into this on the second team but unless the Warriors are somehow normally good on defense then maybe Draymond might sneak in there but I don't think I don't think anyone's beating out for sure Drew Holiday. Uh, Richardson too with how good Philly's going to be on that end and I think Giannis just off reputation is going to get in there as well and actual impact not just off of his reputation but uh, yeah I don't think I think those ones for me are pretty solid picks yeah Drew Holiday is an interesting test case he's obviously made uh, he's made all defensive teams in the past uh, but but this year, you know, I think the the one thing that maybe why I'm a little bit higher on the Pelicans than the average fan is that I think they've got a lot of good defensive talent. You know, Favors is solid. 
Lonzo Ball is a solid defender. All all the guys they got from the Lakers are solid defensively. You know, Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart both are, are decent on that side of the ball. So you know they um, uh, they they've got some some good defensive players and and Holiday has has made some of these teams despite the Pelicans not being the greatest defense and as far as defensive rating the last couple of years. But yeah, the uh, the the other thing with with Josh Richardson, you know, again I mentioned Philadelphia finished outside of the top ten last year on defense, and uh, he's really been obviously Horford is a big acquisition, but he's essentially replacing Jimmy Butler in the rotation, whereas Richardson's replacing J.J. Redick, which that is the biggest defensive upgrade, I would say, maybe in the entire NBA that team has made. Yeah, exactly. And just to kind of continue off your point with the Pelicans, yeah, if you're looking at that rotation, which we talked about a little bit before with Alexander Walker, I think really you just have Redick and Alexander Walker is probably the only two guys who are going to get big minutes on that team who are below average defenders. So, yeah, I think they're going to be a surprisingly good defensive team. And like you, like you as well, pretty high on the Pelicans. Actually, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure what the general perspective is on how good they're going to be, but I guess we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. I think the over-under for Vegas was set at around, um, I believe it was, 39.5 or 40 right around there and and I expect them to be a little bit above that. Uh, I I would not be shocked if if they make the playoffs. Yeah, that's sort of my thing yeah, I'm as well. Now, uh let's let's move on to uh, all defensive second team now. Abuka, who are your picks there? Okay, so I've gone with uh, DeJounte Murray, Marcus Smart, Draymond Green, and, uh Al Horford and Rudy Gobert. Okay, so uh, yeah, Dejounte Murray is somebody that didn't quite make my list, uh, and and it's not because I, I don't recognize he's an excellent defender, but I just question if he's going to be fully back to that level right away, uh, coming off that uh, that ACL injury. But he certainly, I would not be shocked if he's right back to that level. And then uh, the Draymond Green, I think, is is one of the more important ones. You mentioned how. Uh, he could maybe sneak onto a first team if if Golden State's defense really outperforms its expectations. But I mean, he, you know, Draymond Green along with Kevon Looney are really the only solid defensive players on the entire roster. <laughs> it would it would really shock me if they, you know, if they even approached top ten. I, I see them being more in the league average to even slightly below average. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll mention I'll mention the guys that I had on my second team. I had Marcus Smart, uh, Ben Simmons, Green, Pascal Siakam, and uh, and Joel Embiid. And you know Siakam, I I just think Toronto, the the one thing that's gonna I think stay pretty consistent even with the the with the loss of of Leonard and Green is the defense. I think the Raptors are still gonna be a top five or borderline top-five level defense, and I think Siakam is is just such a terror on that end of the floor, and I think he's still a guy that's improving. Yeah, Siakam's a good a good shout there as well for uh, the all-defensive second team. And I agree, the Raptors will still be a very good team on the defensive end, uh, maybe with a one issue of defensive rebound. I think that's going to be a problem for them. But... Uh, They'll, they'll still be a strong defense team, and I could easily see Siakam getting on here, especially just because since they did win the title, you know, 
there's going to be more eyes on the team probably and also get more recognition for any type of performances that they're putting in. So, yeah, I could definitely see Siakam making the defensive second team. I went with Horford again just because I'm pretty high on Philadelphia uh, defensively this year. I think if they do end up grabbing that first or second spot in defensive rating and they're one of the best teams in the league, which is what I'm predicting, uh, a lot of these guys are going to get in there. You actually put Simmons, too, who was another one I was considering. I just didn't want the all-defensive first and second team to be the basically the Sixers starting lineup. So <laughs> yeah. I, I tried to limit it a little bit. I went with DeJounte, and yeah, I, I definitely understand your point about him uh, coming back from the ACL and maybe not being 100%, maybe not having that same impact on the defensive end. And then there's a second concern with him, too, which is he might be on a non-playoff team. But um, I'm pretty high on him. We'll get into that later as well. There I have some further predictions that involve him, which we'll get to. So. Okay, I'm excited to hear that. Now, did you also say, uh, who was your second team center? Was that Turner? Second team on defense center? No, uh, Rudy Gobert. Okay, okay. So, yeah, Gobert makes sense. Uh, I... A couple of guys that I just wanted to mention uh, as, as guys that I considered uh, a trio in uh, with the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Patrick Beverly. I, I just question, especially with the, the first two, whether they're going to play enough games to really be in, in full-on consideration. But uh, Beverly, certainly a guy that, uh, that, that wouldn't shock me if he gets there. Bledsoe, you know, made the team last year. I'm expecting a bit of a dip from him, but uh, certainly he's still he's still young enough to to put up a, another terrific defensive season. And then yeah, Miles Turner was another guy. Uh, he just uh, unfortunately is in a bad situation where you, only two centers can make the the two all defensive teams. Even though I think he is terrific on that end. Yeah, those are all good honorable mentions. I although with Kawhi, I don't think he's really got much of a chance of making either, and I don't actually think it's because of necessarily the game's played. I think it's the fact that he's probably not going to turn it on defensively in the regular season. He didn't really do it with the Raptors last year with better defensive personnel around him than he has right now, and I'm not really expecting him to do that this year. I'm not, not expecting I mean, he'll still obviously be a good defensive player because at his best he can basically guard anyone in the league, right? But I don't think he's going to be doing enough on the defensive end during the regular season to really justify being on one of these teams. I think it's actually more likely that Paul George would do that, but I don't really see it from either of them, to be honest. Well, yeah, I think with Kawhi, I agree with you that his defense has taken a dip, especially last year. It it took a bit of a dip during the regular season, Uh, but, you know, he made the second team all defense last year, I believe, Um, and, uh, I think there's just a part of it that is just once you've built up this defensive reputation that he has, sometimes you can just kind of coast and, and still get in. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. So let's move on now to the all-NBA teams. Abuka, who do you have on the first team? Okay, so I've got Steph Curry, who's also going to win the scoring title this season, James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, and Joel Embiid. Interestingly enough, three of these guys are also on the all-defensive first team. Okay, so again, uh, similar to uh, to the, the all-defensive teams, we, we agreed on, on four of the five, the only difference being the center. 
And uh, yeah, I have Nikola Jokic as my uh, as my first team center. He of course got on as the as the first team center last year. So uh, yeah, I'm, I, you've you've already talked and, and made your case as to why you had Embiid uh, in in terms of the All Defensive First Team. But uh, I, I'm assuming you're expecting another monster season offensively from him as well. Yeah, exactly. And just for to elaborate a bit on the difference, I have Jokic on my second team, which we'll get to. But uh, this was a tough one, and a lot of the things that make it tough this year, especially for even the All NBA teams, is just how close I think things are going to be in the West. Like for example, if Denver were to get the first seed in the West, I could easily see Jokic out doing Embiid for this spot. Uh, if they don't, then I think that gets tougher. Uh, just with reputation being a factor there as well, right? I mean, obviously, Jokic does have a good reputation around the league, but Embiid's kind of that, a bit of a bigger name. And I think if the Sixers have a better record than the Nuggets and their stats, at least the counting stats offensively are comparable, then you throw in the fact that Joel Embiid has a huge impact on the defensive end and Jokic doesn't. I think it'll be hard for Jokic to beat him for that first spot, but I can see it happening too. It's just, uh, yeah, the West, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as well, the West is just kind of tough to predict this year because of how close everything is. So. Yeah, those are all really good points. I guess uh, you, you mentioned that you're really high on the Sixers, and, and I am high on the Sixers as far as a, a postseason run. Uh, I think they're they're a team that's built for the playoffs. You know, as you mentioned, you being a, a big time Raptors fan, they gave Toronto fits defensively just with their size, and they got even bigger this year. Uh, so so they're going to be a really tough outcome playoff time. But but I actually am a little less high on them uh, during the regular season than most, just because I imagine the likes of Embiid and Horford will both sit out games and to just to make sure that those guys are are ready to go when the games really matter. Uh, so, so I'm expecting, uh, and, and I think the big differentiator here and why I have Jokic ahead of Embiid, and, and yes, I have Embiid on my second team, is just I, I'm expecting Denver to have a better, to be the better regular season team. Yeah, that's that's a great point too. Actually, that Philly might not necessarily be as good in the regular season as they will be in the playoffs, which was the case last year too. I think last year they were 51 and 31 in the regular season, and in the playoffs, it seemed like we were playing against a 70-win team. <laughs> yeah. They were playing defense against us. So, uh, yeah, no, for sure, they definitely will be better in the playoffs than the regular season. But I still, I still do like Embiid for this first team, though. Yeah. I liked your call-out on Steph Curry potentially winning the scoring title. And, and yeah, I think if, if Golden State's going to win... 50-plus games, it really is going to come down to the likes of Curry and Green just being absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and so, yes, I, I do like the idea that Curry could go out there and score 37 points a night. I think he had a preseason game recently where he, he went for 40. Uh, he uh, he is such a talented scorer, and, and we saw it in, in Game 3 of the Finals, right, when Klay Thompson was out, when they didn't have Kevin Durant, and it really was down to Curry. He went out for, I think it was 47. Yeah, no, he, he can score, and uh, with Harden kind of sharing duties a little bit with Westbrook now, I don't think he'll be in that race, or he might be in that race, but he won't be dominating it the way he did last year. I think Curry's really the guy who is one of the top like offensive superstars in the league, but doesn't really have another one 
on his team right now. I mean, obviously, like, D'Angelo Russell can score. He's not quite a superstar talent or even really close to that. Uh, so I think Curry's going to have a big scoring burden on him, probably play more than he has been. So I think Steve Kerr mentioned something about that. Maybe it was just joking, but something about him playing, like, basically, like, four quarters this season or whatever. So, yeah, I think Curry's just going to have a lot of opportunity to score a lot, and he's a super efficient with uh, his three-point shooting, able to get to the basket. So, yeah, I'd, be, I'd honestly be surprised if he averaged less than 30 this season. Like, that that would shock me. And if he is, I think it's going to be tough for the Warriors to get enough points on the board to actually win games. Because like you said, they only really have two good defensive players uh, with Iguodala leaving. So... Yeah, it's going to be tough for them to win if he's not having regular like offensive outbursts. So, yeah, that's yeah. one of the that's one of the big reasons why I'm very excited to watch the Warriors this year because it is going to be Steph having to basically outscore the opposing team. But but yeah, I don't think we have to talk much about the reigning MVP Giannis and why he's on our first teams or or Anthony Davis. I think the talent of both of those guys speaks for themselves. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so let's move on now to uh, to your second team. Okay, so uh, I already mentioned I have Jokic on this team. And then for the other four spots, got Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. Okay, so uh, we are uh, in, in total agreement other than, obviously, yeah, we, we flipped uh, first and second team centers. So I had Jokic on first team, Embiid on my second team. Uh, and then, yeah, we agreed on uh, Kyrie Irving, LeBron, and, and Leonard. The only difference being I actually have Russell Westbrook ahead of Damian Lillard. And again, this is another situation where I think as far as the all-NBA teams are concerned, Westbrook gets a little bit overrated because he puts up the tri- triple-double numbers, and I expect him to do that again this year. Uh, but then also, you know, he's going to be on a better basketball team even though I'm lower on the Rockets than most, I still would be shocked if they don't win 50 games. So the fact that he's going to be putting up triple-double numbers on a 50-plus win team, I think, will uh, will get him that, that second-team All-NBA. How, how do you think they're going to handle the... Uh, I haven't actually gotten the chance to watch the Rockets much this, in the preseason, but how do you think they're going to handle the whole point guard duties? Because, you know... Harden previously has basically played like a point guard with how much he's dominating the ball, and then Westbrook's obviously done the same thing in OKC. So in terms of Westbrook getting triple-doubles, do you think he's kind of going to be the one operating more as a point guard with Harden as more of a two? Or uh, do you think they're just going to stagger them enough that they're both just putting up like near triple-double numbers throughout the season? Yeah, I definitely think the stagger is going to happen because, again, I think the, the biggest issue with the, the two of them is when Harden has the basketball and Westbrook is off the ball, that's that's that, that could be a struggle because teams don't respect Westbrook from beyond the arc. So, yeah, I think they're going to stagger them. I think they're going to do something similar. I would imagine they would do something similar to what they did when, when Chris Paul was there. I think CP3 exited the game around the seven-minute mark and came back in with about you know, two minutes to play in the first quarter. So really, you know, splitting up their minutes as much as possible. But then also when they're both on the floor, I imagine Harden is going to get the, the the primary duties in the half court. But if Westbrook grabs a defensive rebound, I think they're going to let him go and push in transition and, and do what he does best. Right, yeah, that's his uh, specialty right there. 
So the Kyrie Irving, he's an interesting test case. You know, Brooklyn making the playoffs last year and, and the big the big uh, thing that they did to, to update the roster for this season is essentially replace D'Angelo Russell with Kyrie Irving. And uh, given that you have him on the second team, I'm, I'm assuming you're, uh, you know, a lot higher on Brooklyn than than uh, than most, and and I am too, I should say. I think I think Brooklyn is probably going to be a little bit better than last year. You know, for me, part of the main thing really is just the fact that the East is not that good. Yeah. So I, I think they'd struggle to be lower than sixth in the East, and I think that'll be enough for Kyrie Irving to make one of these teams. I mean, he also has the big reputation, right, being former champion, one of the most fun players to watch in the league in terms of dribbling the ball uh so yeah i think i think he's gonna he's also just gonna put up enough points and assists to get himself on here so we yeah, i'm not super high on the nets without Durant being there but uh i i do think that they'll be good enough at least with respect to the rest of the eastern conference that uh, some of their guys are going to get recognized for their plays so now uh, you you also had Lillard on the on the second team, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, I uh, every off season I, I am a little bit, uh, and and people that have listened to this podcast know this because I, I mention it all the time. But I've been a little bit down on on Neil O'Shea's off uh, off season the last couple of years. But every year it seems like Portland uh, overachieves, and and in large part due to Lillard. I'm uh, I'm guessing that you're you're pretty optimistic that, that Portland's going to be right around that high 40s, 50-win territory yet again. You know, actually, one thing I realized when I went through and made all these predictions is that I don't think it's possible for all these things to happen at the same time. <laughs> because <laughs> looking at the West, one of the Pelicans, the Blazers, and the Spurs, I think one of those teams at least has to miss the playoffs. So... Depending on which one of those that is, right, it may be tough for... Now, I think if the Blazers do make the playoffs, I do think Lillard will be on one of the All-NBA teams. He's going to be good for his like, usual 25-6 and six that he puts up, right? So, uh, But if they don't, then obviously things get tougher. It's pretty hard to make an All-NBA team without being in the playoffs unless you have like a truly exceptional season. So, uh, yeah, it's... It's going to be interesting. Like the West, the West is really tough to predict this year. I tried to kind of fit as many of these guys in as possible, but just by the sheer fact that you can only have eight teams in the playoffs, I think one of these <laughs> predictions that I'm making about a Spurs or Pelicans or uh, Portland player is kind of not going to work out perfectly. But we'll see. Yeah, I, I struggle with being a little too optimistic as well. You know, when I uh, when I do the over unders, you know, and then you you tally the the total wins that you predicted for every team, you, it always ends up being over forty one, which is wrong because every game has to have a winner and a loser. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it it is interesting, and yeah, the West is tough, and and I honestly, you know, you you talked about it a little bit, uh, but I would honestly put the Warriors in that category of that group of teams that that could that one of those teams might miss the playoffs. Because, again, if Steph or Draymond misses significant time, or as you said, if Steph doesn't put up this monster scoring season, it could be a struggle for them. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. You know, have the Warriors miss the playoffs, that would be not shocking, but kind of strange. It would feel strange for sure if they weren't in the playoffs. But for sure it could happen. I mean, Curry's not exactly been an Iron Man throughout his career, so 
me a couple injuries where he misses like five or ten games and all of a sudden you're relying on D'Angelo Russell to get you into the playoffs in the West offensively, which he's not capable of. So, uh, no, that's definitely a good point. They might be in that sort of group of teams that's on the, the edge. But then at the same time, like, uh, if Curry and Draymond do have, like, monster seasons, like, basically playing the best that they're capable of, the Warriors could actually be kind of pushing those top four teams as well. So there's quite a range that they could fall into depending on health and also the performance of their top two guys. Absolutely. So uh, finishing off those those second teams, I don't think we need to talk much about uh, LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard. I think both of them are consensus top five guys in the NBA. Uh, but uh, yeah, moving on now, let's hear your All-NBA third team. Uh, so All-NBA third team, I've got Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, Pascal Siakam, and Rudy Gobert. Okay, so... Uh, so yeah, you you uh, yeah you don't have Westbrook on any of the teams, but you have Kemba on there. Which yeah, I think that's an interesting pick because you know I think he's going to be in position to to you know put up big big counting stats like he has in years past, but also now be on a just a, a better basketball team in the Celtics. Yeah, better team, pretty big, like you know recognizable team in a big market as well, and. Uh, Brad Stevens has been pretty good for point guards. I mean, obviously, Kyrie Irving is going to put up numbers regardless, but you saw it before that with Isaiah Thomas, like, averaging nearly 30 points a game on that Celtics team. That system, and even Rozier doing quite well for them at times, although not nearly deserving of that contract they got from Charlotte. That's another issue. Uh, but uh, I think that Walker's going to really be in a good environment and system for him to put up a lot of uh, numbers and like I mentioned, the East is just not very strong. So I'd be surprised if Boston's not in that top four group with uh, Toronto, Philly, and Milwaukee. Although within that top four group, I do think there's a gap. I think you have the Bucks and the Sixers, and then you have the Raptors and uh, the Celtics. Yeah. So we agreed on on the the uh, the forwards. I also had Siakam and Butler. And uh, yeah, I, I expect Toronto to be to be pretty darn good this season, and I also expect Miami to make the playoffs, and Butler to have at least one more season where he he is uh, you know a borderline top ten player. The uh, the the couple of discrepancies here. Uh, I had Damian Lillard on my on my third team, whereas you had him on the second team. But then I also had uh, Drew Holiday as uh, my other guard on the third team, and then I had Carl Anthony Towns as my center. And uh, for one, again, we, we talked earlier about how we're, we're both pretty high on the Pelicans, and I think with Holiday being essentially that that uh, number one player, at least in the immediate, until Zion continues to develop, he's the, he's the number one option in New Orleans. I think he's going to put up a, you know, some good offensive numbers like he has the last couple of years. He's, he's a great two-way player, and I think he's finally going to get a little bit more recognition given that the Pelicans might actually be a, a decent team this upcoming season. And then Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you know, I think he's just going to have to carry this Minnesota offense. They don't have a lot of creators outside of him, and I think he's just going to have a monster offensive year. Yeah, I would agree on the monster offensive season for Towns. I just think this, the uh, Timberwolves are not going to be good enough for him to get on here. That's kind of why I went with 
logical there instead. But if you're talking about individual production, uh, for sure, production-wise, he'd probably be deserving of being on one of these three teams. I just think the fact that he's probably not going to be on a team that's even really close to being in the playoffs might hurt him here. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is the reason that I considered Gobert, because, yeah, the, the gap in, in wins between the Jazz and the Timberwolves could be as, as high as 20, if not more. Uh, but, but, yeah, I think uh, with, the, with the, just the counting stats that I'm anticipating from Towns, like it would not shock me if Towns put up you know, 30 points, 13 rebounds, and, and a couple of blocks per game. Uh, those, those numbers would be, would be very hard to ignore. Um, but, uh, but yeah, was there, was there anyone else that, uh, you, 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 uh, were considering that were kind of on the outskirts of these all NBA teams? Uh, you mentioned you had Westbrook on yours. That was another guy I was considering. I just, I don't know. I guess for me, I'm a little bit unsure of how well he's going to be able to produce on that Rockets team. Uh, so I'm, I think that some of these other guards are probably going to get recognized over him. But at the same time, I could see what you were saying with, uh, Dan Tony just doing a really good job of staggering him and Harden and them both just having insane numbers and Harden making the first team and Westbrook being on the second or third. I could easily see that happening as well. Yeah, and again, I think with Westbrook, uh, I, I am very low on, on the fit between Harden and Westbrook, and I'm low on Westbrook in general, but uh, you know the guy has consistently put up big numbers, and, and I don't see that stopping. And, and as far as the assist totals, you know, I think you could see, even if he isn't on the ball as much this season as he has been in previous years with Oklahoma City, just the fact that the Rockets have a little bit more shooting around him uh, will maybe allow for, for some of those more those kickout passes to result in a, in a higher assist percentage. Uh, but, but yeah, a couple of other guys that I thought, like mentioning, obviously, uh, Rudy Gobert was in consideration. Kemba Walker I considered. And then a couple of guys we haven't mentioned, you know, if, if Dallas, if they have a really, really good season, which I wouldn't be shocked if they get into the 45 to 50 win territory, I think Luka Doncic, if he takes another step forward, getting in better shape, maybe upping those uh, shooting percentages and, and free throw line percentages just a little bit, could get into this conversation. And then Blake Griffin, you know, I, I don't anticipate him to have another, you know, healthy season like he did last year. But if he does, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if he puts up another all NBA caliber year. Yeah, I think both of those guys definitely have a chance as well. Uh, Butler and Siakam for sure aren't. Like, I have them both in my third team, and I believe you did as well. I wouldn't say they're locks by any means. So, yeah, another a big season from a different forward, like Griffin, for example, you just mentioned could for sure land them on this team over one of those two guys. All right, we're through all of the, the, the teams, and now we can get into the uh, individual awards. And the first one is uh, Executive of the Year. So, Abuka, who do you have at that spot? Okay, so for me, this one, I was debating uh, between the Pelicans and the Clippers. Okay. Kind of the two teams that made the two biggest additions. But in the end, I decided to go with David Griffin here because of, well, now, he really shouldn't get credit for this, but he will if the Pelicans make the playoffs, and that's drafting Zion Williamson. And then also the combination of that and the Anthony Davis trade, which at least on the surface appeared to be like quite a good uh, deal for them in the short and long term. I think the combination of those things is going to help him get that award this season. 
he's already been getting quite a bit of praise for his performance as the Pelicans GM sort of rectifying the uh, mini crisis they have with uh, Davis wanting out. So I think if they're a solid playoff team, even in that around like 45 win range, I think he's going to have a really good chance of winning executive of the year. Interesting. So I obviously love what Griffin did this offseason. I would give him an A-plus as far as uh, all the moves that he made. Did just a tremendous job of, uh, you know, rebuilding the team on the fly, maintaining a competitive product on the floor for the present while also building out towards the future and what a promising future that that team and that city has. Uh, but uh, the, the issue for me is kind of more in how uh, I, I would expect the voters to look at this award and I have a hard time imagining a lot of voters are going to care about the six Lakers picks that they have in 2025, you know, um, whereas I, I feel like a lot of what this is about is more of, um, you know, present value and, and guys that you brought in that are immediately noticeable. And that's why I thought the, your, your talk about uh, the Clippers and, and them being in contention for this award, I think, is, is a pretty good one. Because obviously Kawhi and Paul George, they're, they're stars, they're noticeable. And uh, even though they gave up a lot to get them, you're going to see them on the floor this year and it's going to turn them into a title contender. The guy I picked is, uh, is uh, Dennis Lindsay out of Utah. And again, I think it's more of, okay, you can say what you want about the fact that they gave up a couple of first-round picks to get Mike Conley and maybe they overpaid for Boyan Bogdanovich. But those two guys are going to definitely help the basketball product on the floor this season. It's going to be very apparent that they're a, they're a more competitive basketball team that maybe leaps into that contender status. Yeah, no, the Jazz are definitely a good good shout there as well. And uh, the Clippers too. I mean, yeah, that's definitely a good point you raise with Kawhi and Paul George being more... Um, obvious additions this season. Although, even with uh, the Pelicans, I mean, you do have quite a few guys that are going to be key parts of their team that were added this season by David Griffin, right? I mean, obviously there's Zion, which, again, I'm not sure how much credit he should get for them getting the number one pick. But uh, there's Zion, you have uh, Lonzo Ball, the pickup of J.J. Reddick, which was a great one. Uh, you got Derek Favors, who they also acquired this offseason. The draft pick of Alexander Walker. I think uh, now because I am expecting a lot of these guys to play well, I'm sort of thinking that he's going to end up getting credit for putting together a kind of this team of young, up and coming guys, as well as like uh, solid veterans like Reddick and Favors who helped them get into the playoffs. And that might, you know, lead to him potentially picking up the Executive of the Year award. executive of the year who kind of put together a similar team and what I'm actually thinking of right now is Jury in Denver when he won it however that Denver team won 57 games so and I don't think that the Pelicans are going to win quite that many but it's sort of a similar comparison in terms of uh, putting together like a mix of young players and also like veterans that maybe weren't valued as highly as, as they were uh, by their previous teams uh, to kind of build a relatively unexpected playoff team. So, 
Yeah, that's um, you know that I think that is the that is the case for Griffin is if if this team exceeds expectations and gets to the mid forties or even high forties in wins and and makes the playoffs while having all of this future ammo, yeah, I certainly think he'll be in consideration if not the favorite at that point. It's just a, the matter of the the what if of whether this team will uh, you know come together and 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 be as good as maybe the the talent on paper would suggest. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's move on now to Coach of the Year. Who do you have winning that award? Yeah, no, this was another tough one to decide. I went with Brett Brown of the Sixers. I think they're going to be the only team probably in the league that's pushing that. Uh, well, not the only team, but one of the teams in the league that's pushing that 60-win threshold. Uh, and I think he's going to get some credit for them doing that. I uh, Budenholzer is probably not going to be in contention because even if the Bucks were to have as good of a record as last year, I think this always tends to kind of be an improvement award or slightly exceeding expectations award. Yes. So I could see I could see Brett Brown getting it. But then talking of that exceeding expectations, that also kind of made me think of uh, Mike Malone or Quinn Snyder, two guys, you know, even though Denver actually was... I believe the second seed last year. Uh, yes. I could still, I could still see uh, one of those two guys getting it as well for Utah or Denver being like up there as a first or second seed in the West. But I decided to go with Brett Brown. Yeah, I mean, if if Philadelphia does approach sixty wins, yeah, I think he'll he'll probably win that award. Um, yeah, again, I'm just not quite as high on Philly's regular season. But yeah, the, the the issue, again, as you were stating with Malone and Snyder, is that those teams, and even Brad Stevens to a certain extent, is because they've done such a good job in, in building up those teams and the expectations that those teams getting to you know 54 wins isn't really a surprise anymore. Uh, so, and, and as you said, it is more of like, a, oh, this coach exceeded expectations so your expectations almost uh, you, you almost benefit if you if the expectations are a little bit lower, and that's why I'm going with uh, with Nick Nurse, and you know the 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 Vegas over under for the Raptors and wins is around 46. Uh, a lot of people aren't that uh, that excited about this team, but I have I project the the Raptors to get into the low 50s and wins. I have them winning 52 games. and uh, I think given that you know that would definitely be exceeding expectations. Uh, and, and then also Nick Nurse can kind of get post credit for uh, for being a championship coach from last year as well, winning that winning the coach of the year. Yeah, I think if the Raptors won fifty two games, they would definitely be in conversation for sure. Because the way our our team is talked about at the moment is like basically it's a bunch of average players that somehow Kawhi led to a title last season. So yeah, no, for sure. If the Raptors are still up there as a fifty something win team, I think Nurse is definitely going to get some serious consideration and for the reason you said like uh yeah like we're saying it's a a award that's generally given for exceeding expectations and the Raptors aren't really viewed very very highly right now despite having just won the championship so yeah I I don't really get it you know not only is the record from last year with with Kawhi off the floor it was really impressive uh, but then also, you know, just looking at a couple of years ago with a lot of the, the, the main core on this team, part of those those teams, 
that, that won in the mid to high 50s, you know, the, this organization just wins basketball games. And, uh, you know, you talk about Siakam, who won most improved last year and uh, will step into the lead scorer role. I think he's even got a little bit more to a little bit more room to improve. And we both have him on the all NBA third team. You know, if, he, if he's an all NBA third team level player, and, and they keep, I guess the other big question is if they keep the likes of Lowry and Gasol and Ibaka on this team, uh, you know, that they've got enough talent. You know, Van Fleet is a solid guy. And, and they've got the likes of Norman Powell and OG Ananobi to step in and, and fill some of the minutes from uh, the, the losses of Kawhi and Danny Green. Yeah, the Raptors are an interesting one for this season. I'm not exactly, I'm not quite as high on them as you are with uh, projecting 52 wins. I do think they're going to be in the top four in the East, which a lot of people have well outside of that. But no, I'm pretty sure they're going to be in the top four in the East, unless things don't start well. In which case, I could see Messiah actually trading some of these guys. Uh, Gasol and Ibaka and trying to recoup some more assets for them. And if that happens, uh, yeah, for sure the team's not going to be quite as strong. So I could fall to the bottom end of the playoff seating or uh, probably not outside the playoffs given how bad the East actually is, but uh, it could definitely be a weaker team. Well, and I think what a lot of people don't uh, factor in enough when you, when you talk about, oh, they might trade Kyle Lowry or they might trade Gasol is that teams have to get equal salary back in return. Yes. And most of the time, those guys that they get back can at least play. They might not be as good, but you know, a, a rumor that I've been hearing a lot about is the idea that you know maybe Miami would, would push all in and go for like a Kyle Lowry. Well, in that case, they probably have to throw in a guy like Goran Dragic uh, in return. And you know he's a guy that, uh, that can play, and it's not a huge downgrade. Yeah, exactly. Like, with someone like him as your point guard, you're still going to be able to win games. I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. That because of how large the salaries are, they can't really just dump a player and not get anyone of value back unless they're just eating a terrible contract in exchange for taking uh, draft picks from someone. Uh, but, yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a fair point. I think even if they do decide to go that route, it might be hard for the Raptors to really, like, bottom out and be, like, a bad team. So, yeah, no, for sure. For sure, Nurse is a, is a good pick. I wouldn't have necessarily gone with that. And maybe I'm trying to, like, temper my own expectations of the team for this season. But uh, he definitely could win. I mean, if we end up outperforming expectations this year, for sure, he could be... Uh, coach of the year. A couple other uh, honorable mentions that I, I felt like bringing up. Uh, a couple of guys in the Western Conference. Rick Carlisle for Dallas and Alvin Gentry. This is essentially like what team in the West that maybe is projected to be missing the playoffs that, that has the potential to sneak in, you know, again, outperforming expectations. If New Orleans or Dallas get into the playoffs and, and do really well, I think either of their coaches uh, might be in consideration for this award. Yeah, Gentry was another one I considered too, kind of piggybacking off of what I was saying earlier about David Griffin and the Pelicans sneaking into the playoffs. He was another guy I thought maybe might have a chance at the award too. All right, let's move on to sixth man of the year. Who do you have uh, being the most productive player off the bench this upcoming season? Uh, 
for six man of the year, I went with Spencer Dinwiddie from the Nets. Ooh, I like it. With an honorable mention to Fred VanVleet. But yeah, I do think it's going to be Spencer Dinwiddie. I think with uh, the Nets not having Durant, really, they've only got two guys who can really score the basketball with Kyrie Irving and uh, Karis LeVert. So I think Dinwiddie's going to have plenty of opportunity off the bench to come in and try and score and lead that second unit. And even last year, he was already a really productive player offensively and one of the candidates for this award. And yeah, I think he's going to have a really good shot at winning it this season. Yeah, that's a really good call out. I think what uh, kind of derailed his chances last year, I think he had a thumb injury that kept him out a decent chunk of time. Um, but but yeah, I think uh, just the in terms of the counting stats and, and having a role and having the ball in his hands, uh, he had it a lot. The only downside I would say is last year with D'Angelo Russell on the roster, they almost uh, allowed Dinwiddie to be the guy with the ball in his hands in crunch time. Whereas now with Kyrie Irving, I think it's going to be in uh, the ball is going to be in Uncle Drew's hands. Yeah, that that will definitely be a difference for him this season. So, so my pick, and uh, I actually sent you most of my picks before we recorded, but this was one of the the few that I actually changed. Uh, and and my pick is Kyle Kuzma of the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh wow! Okay. So, you know they're. I think they're they're pretty committed in Los Angeles to starting a traditional center, whether that's JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, and that pushes Anthony Davis to the four and LeBron to the three. And really, it's it's weird it's a weird fit to have Kuzma playing the two uh, in some sort of a jumbo lineup. So I wouldn't be shocked if if uh, he comes off the bench. You know, Danny Green's got to be a starter, and I think they like having a guy like KCP or Bradley out there to defend point guards. So. I, I, I could see Kyle Kuzma coming off the bench. And again, the fact that LeBron is and, and Anthony Davis are really the only great shot creators on this team, I think Kuzma is going to get all that he can eat on those second-unit lineups. Yeah, he might be uh, one of those, I think, a J.R. Smith maybe type of six-man where he's just going out there and just putting up a ton of points. I don't know how impactful he's going to be like you know, in terms of actually impacting winning and losing games, but he might just put up a lot of points, and that tends to be how six men of the year gets decided. That's actually a really, really good pick, Kyle Kuzma. And then also, the fact that he's on the Lakers, I mean, being on the Lakers definitely helps in terms of winning awards. If it's close between two guys, it's likely that the Lakers guy's going to get the award in the end, so that's a good pick. Thank you. Uh, there, there were a couple of, uh, of guys that I, I felt like mentioning as well. The original guy I had before I crossed him out, I, I still like his chances, a guy in Joe Ingles. You know, I've seen a couple of their preseason games where they've started Royce O'Neal, which I think is, is smart for the Jazz because you know with Conley, with Mitchell, and with Bogdanovich in that starting lineup, they have enough shot creation, and Royce O'Neal is just a good 3-and-D type player that is better in a low-usage role. So having an, another guy in Ingles off the bench that can shoot the three but also run a pick and roll I think would be very useful. And, you know, Ingles has proven to be a really good three-point shooter. He's a good passer. And, yeah, he, he can create, especially against uh, opposing second units. So I like his his chances. And then also Lou Williams, you know, he's a guy that has consistently produced, and, and I don't think that's going to be any different this year. Yeah, no, those two guys definitely have a chance as well. I guess with Ingles, my one concern with him is that for this award it often seems like the voters don't 
really take into consideration like the all-around contribution of the player. It seems like points are kind of weighted much more heavily than everything else. That's why Iguodala hasn't been able to win this with the Warriors when he really probably should have at some point, I think. So, uh, yeah, it might be tough for Ingles if he's not scoring enough. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point, and you're making me feel even better about scratching him out at the last minute. Uh, but uh, let's uh, let's move on now to uh, most improved player. Who do you got? Okay, so I hinted at this a little bit before, but I actually went with Dejounte Murray here. Ooh, okay. And I'm not even a hundred percent sure about this myself, but I do have some rationale for it. Uh, so if we look at the past few players who've won this award. It's mainly been guys who've kind of had defensive reputations beforehand, not a lot of offensive production, and then suddenly saw a spike in their offensive production. And in general, with most improved player, it's usually someone who has a big increase in their scoring, right? So looking at some of the past examples, we have uh, Oladipo, Giannis, Siakam, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, all guys who you know had like big defensive reputations, maybe Oladipo a little bit less than the other guys. And then their scoring ramped up, and they ended up being most improved player of the year, right? So I think in San Antonio, I think Murray's going to have plenty of opportunity to run the offense and handle the ball, even playing next to someone like DeRozan. And I could see him upping his scoring enough into that uh, mid-teens range, potentially, where he gets some serious consideration for this award. Although, going back to what I was saying earlier about the whole competition in the West, if the Spurs are kind of just not in the playoffs, that gets tougher for him. But, uh, yeah, I kind of I like this bit. Yeah, I, I like it as well. You know, just uh, I was looking at his stats as you were talking there, and, and yeah, it's surprising to me even, you know, two seasons ago when he, he played 81 games, he only averaged 21 and a half minutes per game. And got to imagine he's going to get closer to the the thirty minute mark this year. So just in terms of uh, in terms of opportunity and counting stats, you'll you'll see an increase there, even if there isn't an improvement. And there was a lot of talk even going into last season prior to him tearing his ACL that he had really fixed the jump shot. Um, you know, I, I haven't gotten to watch much of the Spurs in the preseason yet, but um, I think people are are still pretty optimistic that the jump shot is much improved. So yeah, the combination of uh, of increased opportunity and actual improvement is going to lead to those counting stats getting a, a big uptick. So yeah, I, I do really like that pick. Um, my pick, in, in kind of a similar vein in terms of I think it's going to be a guy that is going to get a get a boost in his points per game and his minutes per game is uh, Norman Powell for the Toronto Raptors. Oh yeah, and see that was my number two guy, especially because. The Raptors don't have another guy they can really start at the two unless they decide to go with Van Vliet there, which it doesn't look like will be the case from preseason. Powell could for sure see a big increase in his scoring. I actually remember a couple years ago there was a stat where every time he played over 30 minutes per game or maybe his, his average scoring in games that he started was around like 15. So if he goes from I believe about eight or nine points per game last year to 15, 16 this season, which is definitely possible. He could easily win this. Yeah. And also just the fact he's on the champions. I mean, he's going to have a bit more of a spotlight on him. And if the Raptors are winning 52 games too, even 
further. So I, I definitely like that pick, especially if you look at some of the other picks you've made and uh, uh, cohesion with that. Yeah, um, that's kind of where I see it. I see him being in that 15 to 17 points per game territory. Yeah, he averaged just 18.8 minutes per game last year. Would not be shocked if that's up more towards 30 this time around. And yeah, I think the the, the, the confusing part and the thing that's been hard is about this pick is, you know, a lot of teams are a little bit, they, they kind of keep it behind closed doors what, what their starting lineups are going to be, and the Raptors have been the same way. But to me, the optimal starting lineup for Toronto would be Lowry at point, Norman Powell at the two, Ananobi at the three, Siakam at the four, and Gasol at the five with, with Ibaka and Van Fleet being your two big uh, guys off the bench. Um, and, and yeah, if Powell gets the start there at the two, the, that team outside of, uh, outside of Siakam needs some offensive scoring and some offensive production. And, you know, when, when he initially, when Masai initially signed Powell to that four year, what was it? $42 million extension. Uh, you know, Powell that first year after that extension really disappointed. But then last year showed some, some nice promise as, uh, you know, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if he takes another step in the, in the right direction in terms of actual improvement, not just uh, additional opportunity. Yeah, the one thing I'm really looking for from him is, so now he's got he's he's gotten to a point where his three-point shot is very reliable. Uh, the one thing I'm looking for from him is uh, if he fakes a three and he takes a drive, I want to see whether he can actually react better to the defense as a playmaker. That's one thing that's been missing from his game but if you were to add that as well and he's also chipping in like three or four assists a game from the shooting guard spot too he could run away with this one so uh, yeah i really like the pick of powell there and that was kind of the other guys wrestling with between him and uh dejounte murray so the the other guy that uh that that i was considering is a guy out of portland and anthony simons you know portland lost a, a bunch of guys from their uh, from their conference finalist uh, roster, and uh, he's a guy that I think is going to get plenty of minutes as as kind of a backup guard, and and again I think they're a team that uh, that needs some additional scoring and playmaking out there. Uh, uh, for me, I had one other, or actually a couple other guys I was considering, but sort of keeping in the same uh, vein with looking at guys who've made more of a defensive reputation for themselves who could see a scoring uptick. I consider Jalen Brown a bit, but maybe the problem for him with me is just his scoring's already at like 13 a game. So I think for him to win the award, he'd probably need to start pushing closer to 20, which I don't necessarily see happening. Well, yeah, going going off of the Celtics, you know, I think uh, Gordon Hayward could be a possibility. Yeah, yeah, that's possible too. I, I can't remember if they've given the award out like that before. Have we ever seen where they've given the award to someone who was, well, started off however they started, became an all-star, and then fell off, and then got better again? Has that ever happened? Uh, Not that I can recall, but I do remember, you know, when when Paul George had that horrific leg injury and came back for uh, the end of one season and didn't really look himself, and then the next year was back to all-star form. I remember him being at least in consideration. Yeah, that's true. No, that's a good point. And I think even, was Derrick Rose getting some consideration last year? 
Yeah, I think so. I think I heard a few people saying that because, yeah, he, he was able to up those that, those points per game and, and miraculously turn around his, his three-point shooting in one season. Yeah, so maybe it's possible. I mean, if Hayward, I mean, for sure, if Hayward goes back to being like Jazz Hayward, he could for sure be in consideration there. I mean, that, if, if he were to become like Utah Jazz Hayward again, that's probably one of the top six or seven players in the East, right? So for sure he could uh, he could have a chance at winning this if his production goes up like that. All right, so let's move on now to uh, this was the easiest category for me uh, yes. to select, the Rookie of the Year. Yes, I, uh, <laughs> I yeah. don't even really think this is going to be close. I think he's already won the award. The only way he's not going to win is if he gets Yes, he's already had a, uh, I believe he had a, a game where he shot 12 of 13 from the field. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's going to be fantastic. And again, being on a team that I think is going to be decent as well will help his his chances. And, and yes, I'm so confident that I didn't even bother thinking about uh, who might finish second. No, I think this might be a unanimous one. So, yeah, it's, gonna, it's definitely going to be Zion for sure. All right, well, with the easiest one out of the way, uh, let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. Okay, so, yeah, we talked about this quite a bit when we were talking about our uh, all-defensive teams, but I've gone with Joel Embiid here with a little bit of a caveat because, again, whenever you talk about Embiid, you have to talk about injuries, and if he's going to miss a significant chunk of games, it might make it tough for him to win this award. But I think... The Sixers should do a good job managing him, and I think he's going to come away with this one. I think with how dominant the Sixers are going to be on that end of the floor, and him being sort of the principal defensive guy on that team, I think he'll end up getting credit and win this award this season. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, again, we, we, yeah, we did discuss this, but I've got Rudy Gobert winning his third consecutive Defensive Player of the Year award, which I didn't really, I didn't do any research, but I think that puts him in pretty elite company with the um, guys that have won at least three of those. I think there's there's only been a few. I think Dikembe Mutombo, Ben Wallace, Dwight Howard, uh, you know, maybe Hakeem Olajuwon, I think might be the, the only guys that really come to mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, again, the, the, big, the big emphasis for me will be the fact that Utah, I, I'm really high on Utah on both ends of the floor. I think they're going to be a top 10 unit. I, I still think Gobert is th- that impactful on the defensive end that even him with four other average defensive players can can be a, a top five defensive unit. And again, if I think I think if Utah gets to that level, Gobert will uh, will win it again. But yeah, it's it's been close the last couple of years. So yeah, obviously I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, if uh, Joel Embiid wins it. Yeah, another guy I looked at here and sort of I think it really is going to be between Embiid and Gobert. But I did give a little bit of consideration to Anthony Davis here. Yes. But I, I don't think the Lakers are going to be good enough defensively, at least not in the regular season, for him to win the award. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I do love that call out. He was probably third on my list as well. Uh, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I, I, I picked the Lakers to win 47 games. And the more I think about it and the more I've seen a little bit of them in the preseason, and I know it's, it's not good to, uh, 
to take things too seriously from watching a team in preseason. But the fact that uh, they're they're going to be playing big, which generally if you're playing two guys that are, and, and really for them it'll be three guys that are 6'8 or taller in their starting lineup with LeBron, Davis, and either McGee or Howard, uh, you know, just having that kind of size and that rim protection is means pretty good things for your defense. And they've got perimeter talent. You know, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a solid defender. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about Avery Bradley. They've been raving about him in Los Angeles. And if he's back in form and, and playing defense like he's capable of, they could be a really good defensive team. Yeah, you know what? I think their best lineup on that end, and I don't know, I'm still kind of interested to see how, how things are going to shake out in Los Angeles. I have a little theory about what's going to happen with them. But, um, I didn't even mention Danny Green either. You know, he's a very solid yes, defender in his own exactly. right. Yeah, I actually, so in regards to Green, yeah, I think their best lineup defensively is probably going to be with Davis at the five, actually, and LeBron at the four. And then probably uh, Avery Bradley, Danny Green, and KCP. I think that five is sort of their best defensive lineup. Now, it doesn't seem like Anthony Davis really wants to play center, and they've tried to accommodate that by having well, two active centers and and they also have uh, DeMarcus Cousins as well, who probably isn't going to play this season. But, uh, yeah, I do think that that's their best defensive lineup. I'm just not sure that they're going to play defense consistently well enough throughout the season for him to beat out Embiid or Gobert, where the Jazz and Sixers I'm expecting to be at least top five defenses for the regular season. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, that, that lineup you mentioned would be would be really solid defensively, but I actually am more of the belief that um, you know size is going to help your defense and going small typically is going to help the offense. I think getting a guy like JaVale or Dwight Howard out of the paint would make their offense a lot more effective, especially with LeBron Davis pick and rolls. Uh, but defensively, I think just having having the that multiple you know guys at six ten or higher, multiple rim protectors just means that things are going to be really tough for opponents not only scoring around the basket but getting to the free throw line and that just makes things so much more difficult but yeah I think uh, it it bodes well for the Lakers defense in general that they have multiple lineups they could go to whether that's big or small that could be very effective yeah and I think actually what you're saying is a good point with uh, the size kind of generally being better for defense but I think where what I was looking at there is, let's say they're playing against a team that's got a guy at the four that's going to be pulling Davis out to the three-point line. That's where I think uh, having Davis at the five without another big on the court could actually be beneficial for their defense. I think he's a better rim protector than almost anybody else in the league other than these other two guys that we're talking about for the Defensive Player of the Year award. And... When they're playing against the lineup with a team that's going to have him pulled out of the paint, uh, if there's another big on the floor, it would definitely be a benefit to move him to that five spot. But I do agree that in general, yeah, having more size out there and making it more difficult for teams to score in the paint is typically the best way to make your defense stronger. And one of the reasons why we're both pretty high on the Sixers because they basically just have towers all over the court. And especially inside the paint. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, and I think your point is especially relevant once it comes to the playoff time. You know, when you're dealing with teams that you know have players at the four position that are really positive offensive pieces that uh, the the yeah would would keep Davis away from the the area where he can be most effective. Um, so yeah, I would imagine once it comes postseason that that they'll start to play Davis more at the five, and maybe once the playoffs come around, he'll be a little bit more happy playing minutes at the five spot. Uh, but but yeah, that was uh, that was a really interesting conversation, and yeah, the Anthony Davis for Defensive Player of the Year, yeah, that that uh, that is a that is a pretty intriguing pick, and uh, yeah, why we both had him in our honorable mentions. Let's move on now to uh, to the big one, the the biggest individual award, and that is Most Valuable Player. So Abuka, who do you have winning MVP? So we actually just spent about five minutes talking about him, and I'm picking Anthony Davis. Okay, I like it. This is a tough one because uh, the Lakers, you know, MVP typically you need to win 50, 50 games, right? The only exception we've seen to that recently was uh, Westbrook with the whole averaging a triple-double season where really the MVP should have gotten to heart. But anyway, that's, <laughs> let's not get into that discussion. But, uh, yeah, I think it might be tough for the Lakers to actually win enough games for him to win this award, but I think the fact that he's going to be probably the third or fourth most impactful defensive player in the league while also being an absolute monster on the offensive end, I think it's going to make him a real serious candidate for for this award. There's also a benefit that he's getting now playing with LeBron that he hasn't really had before, which is a really elite pick-and-roll ball handler. And if the Lakers play some of those lineups that we were just talking about where they've got more shooters out there on the floor, he's going to have a really, really easy time scoring the ball, and he already makes that look very easy. He's completely dismantled some very good defensive teams before, so yeah, I think I, I think Anthony Davis is really going to make a good run for this, this award this season, and I think also what's going to happen is LeBron's going to try to push for him to win it as well, and we've seen a little bit of how LeBron's able to control narratives a little in the league, so I think that'll only be to his benefit as well. Yeah, I love that pick, and and yeah, as I mentioned, or when I initially made my predictions for win totals, I had the Lakers at forty-seven wins. But the more and more I think about it, uh, yeah, we discussed why they could potentially be around a top ten defense, and their offense could be really darn good. You know, you surround a, a LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll with shooting. That's gonna be really, really tough to stop. So uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't shock me if the Lakers get to the to the uh, low to mid fifties and wins, and and Davis, yeah, being that that monster force on both ends of the floor. It's just it's fascinating to me and tough for me to say. Oh, is is the is the media and everybody going to fully believe that Anthony Davis is the best player on the Lakers as opposed to LeBron? Yeah, you know, I think we're starting to see the shift away from thinking that LeBron's the best player in the league a little bit. Uh, I, I think you're seeing now more people kind of considering other guys for that top spot. I mean, after last year's playoffs, you had a lot of people saying Kawhi was the best player in the league. Uh, for a while, we had people saying Giannis. Even uh, while Steph was in that conversation a few years ago, he might work his way back into it. Um and I think Davis now he's uh, 26. This is going to be his uh, 
to be 27 at the end of the season. That's right around the, the age where players kind of hit their peak. And I think for him, uh, especially having, like, for the first time, someone as talented as LeBron, I mean, not that there's that many guys that are as talented as LeBron, but having someone as talented as LeBron on his team, I think, is really going to elevate him. And LeBron himself might, you know, coast, which is what he's been doing a little bit during the regular seasons the past few years. So it should give Davis more opportunity to kind of be the more statistically dominant guy and also the more visually dominant guy uh, when people are watching him play this year. So I think he will establish himself as the best player on the team, which is interesting to say because he is playing with LeBron. But I do think he's actually going to establish himself as the best player on the Lakers this season. Yeah, and, and speaking to Davis's skill set, yeah, I would say still the, the one thing that is a little bit missing from his game is he's not quite, in my eyes, that guy that you just throw the ball to and ask him to get a bucket on every possession. I think he's much more comfortable being the, the guy that is the play finisher as opposed to the play creator, even though he has improved his, his uh, assist numbers the last couple of years. But, you know, having LeBron as his teammate, I think, is just perfect. I think LeBron is going to help Davis more than Davis is going to help LeBron, especially offensively. Just that LeBron is so good in that pick and roll, so good finding those pocket passes and and giving Davis the ball when he's in advantage situations. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, I I definitely would agree with your assessment there, too, that uh, LeBron's going to be more of a benefit to Davis than the other way around. Uh just the fact that he is a finisher, like you said, and having someone who's, I mean, still, there's barely any, I don't even think there is anyone really in the league right now who's a better creator for other players than LeBron, even at the age he is now. Being For Davis, being able to play with someone like that is going to be massive for him, and I think it's going to look ridiculously easy for him uh, in a lot of games this season. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know, LeBron has played with some talented big men in his career, the likes of Chris Bosh and Kevin Love, most notably. Uh, But those guys were much more comfortable in in pick-and-pop situations, whereas this is the first big that is really effective as a pick-and-roll player. And I think LeBron is an even better passer in the pick-and-roll than he is uh, as a pick-and-pop passer. So it's going to be really fun to watch the Lakers. Uh, so, So now, without further ado, I'll mention my MVP pick. And that is another guy in the Western Conference, Nikola Jokic. Oh, that's a good pick, too. Yeah, that's, uh, I like that one. I like Jokic as a pick for MVP. And with where the Nuggets finished last year, I mean, I could see them finishing first in the West this year. And the past, I mean, the past, what, probably five or six years, we've seen the MVP just basically just go to the best player on the best team. So it's very possible that he just wins it in that way as well. He may not necessarily... I mean, Jokic isn't the best player in the league, nor is he going to be the best player in the league. But if the Nuggets are pushing that 60-win range and no one else is really at that 60-win range and he's putting up his usual near-triple-double numbers at center, uh, for sure he's going to get some serious consideration for MVP. Yeah, I mean, just last year, looking at the counting stats, he averaged 20.1 points per game, 10.8 rebounds, 7.3 assists. And, you know, if he just bumps up each of those just a little bit, you know, if he gets to 22 points per game, 11.5 rebounds, uh, 7.5 assists, 
I, I think he could pretty easily do that even without much of an uptick in 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 shot attempts and or minutes because like he he shot pretty poorly from three uh, for most of the regular season shot around 30 percent if he boosts that back up to what he did the previous year around 39 and what he did in the postseason this past year uh, that alone I think will up those points per game and surprisingly he only played 31 minutes per game last season so I wouldn't be surprised if they bumped that up to around 34 which again will boost all those numbers and I'm right there with you I think the Nuggets are along with the the Utah Jazz those two teams are my favorites to be competing for that number one seed in the Western Conference. Yeah, and also with Jokic, uh, his usage is pretty low for a star player last season. I think he was only at 27%, which wasn't even in the top 30 in the league. So, yeah, I, if he were to increase his usage offensively and try to be a more dominant force as a scorer, yeah, he could for sure see some pretty insane numbers being put up, so... The likes of, of Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Jamal Murray, I wouldn't be shocked if all of them shoot the three ball a little bit better, which again, uh, if if his teammates make more of the shots when he sets them up, that's just going to add even more to that that uh, those assists per game. And he was already, I believe, top five in the league in assists if he finishes you know, top three this year. Uh, that, that is just uh, unprecedented for a center. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I love your pick as well. And uh, but yeah, I'm just really high on on the Denver Nuggets this season. I think Jokic is is going to be phenomenal, and he's just another guy that I love to watch play the game. Was there any other was there any other players that you considered, or do you want me to go to my honorable mentions? Uh, for MVP, no, I had I would have probably had Jokic as my second pick. Okay. For, for that award, or maybe MVP. Embiid would be in that conversation too, simply because he's in the defensive player. I mean, I'm picking him for defensive player of the year, and he's no slouch on the offensive end, so he would definitely be in that conversation as well. But I, I really like Davis for this award this season. Yeah, Davis was in my honorable mentions. The the two other guys that I considered, uh, yeah, one being Steph Curry. You know, if he puts up a, 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 you know, if he wins the scoring title and the Warriors are able to win 50 plus games with the lack of talent they have on that roster, I think he's got to be in consideration at that point. And then also uh, Giannis. You know, if he puts up just a similar season to what he did last year, and even if the Bucks take a small step back record wise, but still have one of the the top records in the NBA, you know, he's he's going to be right there yet again. Yeah, the voter fatigue could be a factor for him, but that's a good point. Like, if they're just, again, the best team, and he's got... I mean, he could actually take another step, too. I think Giannis is still, like, 23. Right. Yeah, so I, it's very possible that he could actually be significantly better than last season, which sounds kind of insane, but... Yeah, if he takes another step and the Bucksters still just as good, he could be right there in that conversation, too. All right, so that's it for our individual awards. Now we're down to the last three categories, which are the team awards, and we're going to pick our Eastern Conference champion, our Western Conference champion, and our NBA champion. So, Abuka, why don't you get us kick-started with your Eastern Conference champion prediction? Okay, so, I mean, I've been talking quite a bit about how high I am on the Sixers uh, throughout this, so, yeah, I'm going with them as Eastern Conference champion. And just a talk a bit about the reason actually you brought this up when we were talking about the Lakers defensively but I think the size thing that they have inside and even on the perimeter is going to create some serious problems for their main competition which is the Bucks. I mean we just talked about Giannis a little bit but if he doesn't add 
any kind of consistent mid-range game or outside shot, I don't see how he gets them past the Sixers because there's not going to be enough room in the paint for him to operate. And they have so many guys they can throw at him defensively, even from a one-on-one perspective, whether that's Simmons or Horford. I mean, even Tobias could stay in front of him at least a little bit on a switch. And you've got Josh Richardson if they want to make it tougher for him to uh, make things happen on the perimeter too. So they they really have a lot of options to throw at Giannis and two guys who are very good at protecting the rim as well. I don't think the Bucks are going to be able to get past them. And I do kind of agree a little bit with the Sixers thinking that uh, they believe they would have been in the finals had they gotten past Toronto. I do actually agree with that. So, And they got better. So, yeah, I think the Sixers will be there. Yeah, I, I love a lot of your points, and yeah, you, you know, when you talk about Giannis playing 40 to 42 minutes in a playoff game, yeah, the Sixers can throw Al Horford and Embiid at him for all the minutes that he's out there on the floor, and and yeah, they, they, will, uh, they will probably have a decent amount of minutes when both of them are out there, where one guy can be guarding him and the other guy could be protecting the rim, so yeah, it's going to be a challenge for Giannis, and and I almost am more concerned about the Bucks as far as the other guys if they were to go and, and match up against the Sixers. You know, you talk about what the Sixers did to some of the Raptors guys and Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet, those guards that you expect to have to to uh, produce some secondary creation and scoring. They just completely shut them down. And I wouldn't be shocked if guys like Middleton and Bledsoe and George Hill were just completely taken out of the series. Yeah, no, that's a fair point, too. I mean, with the way that the Sixers can play defense on the perimeter, they could totally neutralize some of these guys. I mean, Lowry's a better player than Bledsoe, and they had him looking very average in large parts of that series. So, yeah, it's very very possible that some of these guys are just not able to do much of what they're able to do during the regular season. I think they'll make things really tough for uh, even Middleton as well. The one... uh, benefit for the Bucks, I guess, at least on the offensive end, is that Lopez should ideally be able to get one of those two guys out of the paint when he's on the floor uh, and beat in Horford. That might open things up a little bit for Giannis, but I, I think it's going to be too much for them to overcome on the defensive end. Well, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a situation where they, they pull what Steve Kerr did with the Warriors when they played the Grizzlies and have either Horford or Embiid guard Bledsoe and just lay off him and let him shoot and put a perimeter guy on the likes of uh, of Lopez. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility too. And I think you'd rather take your chances with seeing if Eric Bledsoe can hit enough threes to win a series, which, yeah, I don't think he's capable of doing that. He wasn't very good in the playoffs last year either. So Now the, the question, uh, you know, and... and sort of playing devil's advocate here and, and maybe why some people might still prefer Milwaukee or, or predict Milwaukee is how is Philadelphia going to score on the Bucks defense? You know, Milwaukee was, was so fantastic defensively. They, they played a pretty good defensive series even in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals, the series in which they lost to the Raptors. But with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, with the likes of Bledsoe on the perimeter, they've got a ton of defensive talent. And as far as Philadelphia's offense, there, there there are a lot of question marks. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. The, 
the Sixers' offense is going to be interesting. I'm expecting Embiid to be more impactful on the offensive end than he was last year. He was definitely playing with something. I don't know if it was an injury or sickness. They said a few different things without uh, throughout the postseason, especially during the series with the Raptors where Mark Gasol basically turned him into nothing on the offensive end. But, um, yeah, that's a good point. The Sixers might have some trouble scoring on them. And I guess we'll have to see what happens with Ben Simmons as well. He's kind of got a similar challenge to Giannis and actually to a greater extent, like is he going to be able to make any shots outside of the paint, which isn't something he's really shown an ability to do so far in his career. Yeah, I mean, if those teams match up, and I think it's, I think most people expect that to be the the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. I wouldn't be surprised if the score lines are more in the like the NBA from the '90s or even mid 2000s, where it's 82 to 80, something like that. <laughs> yeah, you might get one of those. Uh, uh, remember those uh, Pistons Cavs series where like, yes. some of the games I think they were ending in like like sixty to fifty something, or <laughs> <laughs> some score like that. Hopefully not. I don't really like watching. I mean, I love defense, but I don't like watching those kind of games. So hopefully, somebody can figure out how to score in that series. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to we're we're both in uh, we're both in agreement there. I had I picked the Sixers as well, but I certainly uh, you know think the Bucks will be right there, and you know I think home court advantage could be a, a pretty big factor in that series as well. Uh, but uh, moving on now to the Western Conference, who do you have it? Who do you have as the champion coming out of the West? Yeah, so I actually don't like what I did here, just personally because I don't like this team, but I picked the Lakers. Okay. Yeah, they were uh, they were a team that I definitely uh, I, I considered uh, the the two teams that I that I that I had as honorable mentions out of the West were the Lakers and the Jazz. But the team I ended up eventually going with was the Clippers. But yeah, uh, you know I, I think uh, this is going to be a really interesting season. And again, yeah, I, I might be a little bit too low on the Lakers regular season uh, chances, but I think they're going to be a very dangerous playoff team. You know, again, just LeBron James and Anthony Davis in a playoff series will wreak havoc on most opponents. Yeah, there was also kind of a funny thing that I noticed, which is that every um, first finals of the decade, the Lakers have been in the finals. They're in the 2010 finals, which they won. They won the 2000 finals. They lost the 1990 finals. Uh, I think 1980 they won. And 1970, they were there. I'm not sure if they won or not. Uh, once you go before the 80s, that's beyond my basketball memory uh, uh, memory archives. But uh, yeah, for kind of just an interesting stat there. But they've they've been in the final, the first finals of every decade for all of them going back to I think 1960. They weren't in the finals that year. So. Um, just an interesting fact. It doesn't really have any actual bearing on what's going to happen this next season. I just thought that was kind of a funny thing to look at. So this is pretty nerdy of me, but I, I'm, I'm pretty good with these uh, yearly uh, championship and uh, Eastern Conference championship teams. And I think in 1990, it was the Detroit Pistons versus the Portland Trailblazers. I think 91, the Lakers met up with the Bulls. But, but I still think it's fascinating that even just the last two... 2010 and uh, 2000 with the Kobe Shaq and then the the last uh, the last championship Kobe team. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think the year the the Pistons beat 
the Lakers was the year before that, 89. Yes. So yeah, they they were in the in the finals in 89 and 91, so pretty much right around the, the start of the decade, obviously. But uh, yeah, the, the Lakers are, are going to be dangerous. I guess I, I like the Clippers a little bit more, for one, because... You know, Kawhi Leonard has most recently shown that he's the best postseason player, even, you know, more recently than LeBron did. There's a chance that LeBron, with having aged a couple of years since his last playoff run, might not be quite as dominant as Kawhi will be. And then also, you know, I just like the depth on the Clippers a little bit more. And I think the Clippers, with their with their first-round pick still being able to, uh, they still are able to trade that first-round pick. They could still add another guy, and I've mentioned this on multiple podcasts already, but it uh, wouldn't shock me if the Clippers make a move for Marc Gasol. Oh, that would be interesting, because that's actually one of my, my main concern about them, is the fact that they're not going to be able to guard some of these bigs in the Western Conference. Uh, at least as it stands right now, I could see them having a lot of trouble with uh, Jokic or even Anthony Davis on the Lakers. Uh, but yeah, picking up Marcus Gasol would definitely change that for sure. And we've already seen that Kawhi can play pretty well with him, and he's a great passer as well on the offensive end. So yeah, I mean they a really good move for them if they were able to get him. Yeah, they have. Uh, I think they they signed Zubac to a uh, a decent uh, sized contract, so I think he could be an outgoing piece as well as potentially Lou Williams, who I'm not as high on as a as a postseason player. Um, you know, you combine those two guys, and maybe they they need one or two more to to make the math work. I think Gasol's making around twenty five million, um, but uh, yeah, they they could potentially make that move if if they are concerned about that center position, which yeah is their weakness. Although I'm I'm higher on uh, Jamichael Green as a small ball five than I think most people are. So now we've got uh, we, your picks are the, uh, the the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. My pick is the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Los Angeles Clippers. So uh, who do you have winning that NBA Finals matchup? So I have the Lakers winning. And my kind of thinking on this was basically... I was looking at... So now we kind of have this situation in the league where we've got a lot of these... Uh, basically big twos or whatever you want to call them or duos, dynamic duos, whatever. Um, And for me, the Lakers have the best one. Uh, Whether you're comparing uh, them to, so once Anthony Davis and LeBron, whether you're comparing that to even George and Kawhi or uh, Westbrook and Harden or uh, Curry and Draymond or any of these other kind of big twos, I think they have the best combination of their top two players of any team in the league. But I think at a certain point, when things are close, which I think they are between the top teams this year, the top even six or seven teams, I think things are relatively close. Uh, I think when they are close like that, what tends to win out is the more talented team. And that's why I went with the Lakers. I think LeBron and Anthony Davis together can reach a level that the other teams in the league I don't think are capable of reaching in the playoffs. And that's why I decided to go with Northrop for the championship. I also think that it's possible they'll make some moves throughout the season that make the team even better. Uh, that makes me seem... But I, I, do, I do think that they're going to win this year. As much as it may, I don't... 
enjoy the Lakers very much, but <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I do, I do think that they, they have a really good chance of winning. So I'm going with the Clippers in my uh, my finals matchup, and I think in both cases, whether it's the Lakers or the Clippers, you know, you talk about that Sixers team. Obviously, they're going to be a juggernaut defensively, and they're going to make things difficult on whoever they face. I just think, you know, with the with the Lakers and LeBron and Anthony Davis, they have enough offensive talent to at least eke out enough points. And same with the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George. Whereas, you know, and I think both of those L.A. teams will be good enough defensively to really shut down that Philadelphia 76ers team. I guess, yeah, that, you know, in the event that the, the Clippers played the, the Sixers in the finals, it would be very uh, important that they acquired Marcus All because they don't have any centers that can stop Embiid. Yeah, that was actually why why I thought that was a great uh, potential trade that you brought up. Because yeah, if the Clippers got to the finals and they had Marcus All, I think the Sixers are not winning that series. I think that the other problems that would be created for Philadelphia offensively with Simmons probably being completely neutralized by one of Kawhi or George throughout the series, it would be really tough for them to get it done. Right, and then you have either Kawhi or George to take whoever's hot amongst like Josh Richardson or Harris exactly. as well. So they, yeah, that they could yeah. make things really, really difficult on them. So uh, we both have the Western Conference champion going through and uh, and winning the NBA Finals. All right, well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. This was a lot of fun and. Uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on and taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that, uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program, and uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.